tradition of Nehemiah and Ezra started back at the original Watergate. Uh, he said, all who have understanding gathered to listen. And then he says it again, that all who had understanding listened. And I think of that when Jesus said, let he who have ears hear. And then Ezra gets up, he opens the book, it says, and what did they do? They stood. Context. First Chronicles 29. David was very old. He had to have somebody to keep him warm. He was so frail. And, and he gathers everybody and he says, For years I've been preparing for the temple to be built. But God told me I killed too many people, so I can't build it. Instead, my son, whose name is Peace, is going to build it instead. And yeah, he's young and inexperienced, but there you go. You got the job. How do you like that for an introduction in front of the assembly by your dad? Who, who, you know. But then he said, out of my own bank account, I'm going to give this much gold. I'm going to give this much silver. And then he looks at everybody and says, what y'all going to give? And the Bible says that they gave. And then he follows it up with this prayer. O oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building your house, for your holy name, comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness and the uprightness of my heart. I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, our fathers. Keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people, and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provisions. Then David said to all the assembly, Bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and to the King. And in the New Testament, we have Paul, who's writing to the Gentiles of the church in Ephesus about how the many and the different are being fitted together growing into a holy temple in the Lord as equal partakers of Jesus' promise 
that the gospel he offers, sorry, and, and then through the gospel. And then he offers this prayer, sort of one of several Paul's prayers of maturation for the Christians that he's writing to. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly then all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we celebrate you, Lord Jesus. Right now, as we feast and take nourishment from your word, before continuing to the feast of your table, we praise you and thank you. Uh, be with me as I preach. Be with the hearts of the people. Uh, let them hear what you want them to hear. Through your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, great to be with you all this morning. You know, usually I'm quite nervous to get up and give a sermon. You know, I preach twice a year, maybe three times. You know, of course, over 30 years, I mean, that's, you know, getting towards 100 sermons. I don't know, but I usually get kind of nervous. But, you know, today I'm not nervous. Now, the reason for that is that nervousness is displaced with something else. And that something else is... Um, gratitude. I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful to have been here ministering with Beth for 30 years, and um, grateful. <laughs> and grateful to worship with you. Uh, we love you. And um, you've taken care of us, both physically and spiritually and financially, and we're, we're deeply grateful. So that's, that's really what's displacing my nervousness. I don't know if that's good for the rest of the sermon, <laughs> but um, thank you all. Thank you. Um, uh, junior high and senior high students, some of you are here, some of you are in the gym, some of you are at home, probably Taylor's out there watching online, and and others as well. Uh, this sermon is, is really for you. And um, we're going to let everybody else listen. So, you know, y'all can count yourself 
blessed uh, by that. So you, you can listen in on this too. Uh, this is the last day that uh, I'm your youth pastor officially. Um, and uh, this is the last thing that I'm going to say to you officially as your youth pastor, the last time I get to exhort you in God's word. And I hope this idea that it's the last day actually helps motivate you to particularly listen and particularly to focus. Because this morning, I'm going to get to uh, the heart of the matter. Uh, You all, you junior high and senior high kids, you know that you're called to be Christ's disciples, right? Um, You you know you're called to that. Uh, You know that you are called to make disciples, the Great Commission. Hey, we memorized it back when you were in second grade in VBS, right? You know, Go and make disciples. You, you know that you're called to that. And what I have to say gets to the heart of the matter. Well, how do you do that? What's the heart, what's the heart of the matter there? Um, so today I have um, a few brief clips from a movie that I will hope, I hope will provide... Uh, Helpful illustration to this. Don't you just love that movie? Every two or three years it comes around, we're showing it, junior highs, senior highs. It's kind of like a cult classic. It's like half the kids know every word in it, and they're (laughs) saying it, the words as it comes across. Uh, If you haven't seen it, sorry, you'll have to imagine it. when Wesley and the, grand, the grandfather, Peter Falk here, is the narrator, of, he's, the reading, he's the narrator of the story, and it begins at the beginning of the movie, and then he ends the movie and, uh, with his expression of love for his, uh, for his grandson. Um, so when Wesley and the grandfather say, as you wish, they were, they were saying they were, they were living, I love you. And it was on the basis of Wesley's love for Buttercup that he would do whatever she requested. And it was his joy to do so. And it was on the basis of the grandfather's love to the grandson that he would uh, do what the grandson requested. And it was his joy to do so. 
You know, I believe that this was the heart of the matter for Wesley and for the grandfather. Uh, and so I think for you and me, uh, as we disciple, and as we disciple, uh, disciple our, so as we are disciples and we disciple others, uh, the heart is the heart of the matter. Now, you've heard of Jesus' farewell discourse. I know you've heard it every year because I've told you about it every year. Uh, you know, John 13, verses 31 through all the way through John chapter 17, where Jesus gathers the 12, well, now the 11, since Judas has betrayed him. Uh, he gathers them and uh, gives them his bottom line exhortation. And what he te then tells them is framed uh, is, the, is the center is the center of the importance because of his imminent departure. And this heightens the focus of what he's about to say. Well, this Old Testament passage, Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 29, is the center of David's, King David's farewell discourse, as Brian pointed out. Good job, Brian. It's his, it's, it's his farewell discourse, King David's farewell discourse. This is his last assembly with the people of Israel, and therefore it is framed with great importance because of his imminent departure. And it demands a pinnacle of focus uh, by the people who are all assembled there listening to him. He's old now, uh, and it has been in his heart, and the scripture tells us he was a man after God's own heart, uh, to build a temple for God. That's what David wanted to do. And God, for his own reasons, told David not to build the temple, but that his son might, son Solomon. So now that David is old and his son Solomon is in the wings, King David is prepared. He has prepared everything along with the massive gifts and the works of his people. He's prepared everything that young Solomon will need to accomplish the building of the temple. The temple where God is to be worshipped by the people. Here, David gets to the heart of the matter. And what is, at that point, what is it that David wants for the people? So we read again. The Lord our God, this is what he prays. This is what he says. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand. It belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, key line, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. The ESV calls this heart uh, the heart that joyously and freely gives. And among many other important things that King David might have prayed for the people right at that juncture, 
that juncture, that critical juncture as he transitions his leadership to his son. He prays for himself and the people that they'd have a heart that joyously and freely gives. The heart is the heart of the matter. This is the king's heart. This is the people's heart. And David prays that God would keep such purposes and thoughts in their hearts. For God to direct their hearts towards you as they take on the next task, which is the building of the physical temple in Jerusalem. Now remember, in this passage, we're in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And we know that in the main, the law of God rules them, not the heart of love for God. And this is where the people of Israel continually got into trouble. They easily forget that obeying the law was to be an expression of love, a heart of love that was devoted to God. For example, in Isaiah 29, 13, read this. Then the Lord said, because this people approaches me with their words and honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and their reverence for me consists in commandments of men, the traditions of men. Well, God ultimately sends judgment on Judah, nation of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, for this very reason. They don't end up having a heart for God. They just have a religion for show. The empty sacrifices of a cold heart, like we read here, and we can, you can read these in a dozen passages. What to me, this is God speaking, what through the prophet Isaiah, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord I've had enough burnt offerings of rams and fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. They don't have a heart. But David's farewell discourse speaks of this heart, speaks of the people's heart. This, this really prefigures, this, this looks forward to the new covenant, what we see in the New Testament and what we live now. Note this Old Testament prophecy, the new covenant in Ezekiel 11. And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh so that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them. I'll be their God. They shall be my people that they may obey because they've got a new heart. This is how the people can follow God, by God's gift of a new heart, a heart to love God, to build the Old Testament temple where they would, could worship him. This First Chronicles 29 passage looks forward to the new covenant, the New Testament fulfillment. And let's not forget that Jesus is the son of David. King David prefigures King David looks forward to Jesus. And now we, today, we build a temple not of inanimate stone, but the living temple of God. And this is discipleship. Building the living stones of the temple and fitting them together by what every joint supplies. 
and that is done by way of what each of us with our gifts and service uh, give, as it says in Ephesians 4. And this is how you can be a disciple. Have a heart for God. Serve out of this heart, not a cold, stony heart of hypocritical duty. But let's turn to our New Testament passage. Uh, and while this is not Paul's farewell discourse, it is in a key place at a key New Testament epistle. Ephesians 1 through 3 are this big, long theological treatise and discourse. In fact, chapter 1 is the first half of it is just one sentence that just goes on and on. It tells us that we are individually and corporately loved by God before the foundation of the world and that his grace and love are lavished upon us in Christ. And we love God. We love one another across all lines that would divide us and makes us into one new, one new man, the very living temple of God, not merely that temple of stone that Solomon built. So right at the end of chapter 3, before Paul launches into three chapters worth of applications, he exhorts these deep truths for us. The heart of discipleship. For this reason I bend my knee. So he's praying just as David was praying. Paul is here praying. For this reason, I bend my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever. Amen. The Christ, he's praying that Christ would dwell in our hearts that we'd have the new heart and that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. All of them, all of us. The heart is the heart of the matter. This is the key to the center of discipleship. How does it happen? How do you do it? Well, the first thing is God provides it. He says right here, he provides it. God provides it this heart of love for him and for each other, rooted and grounded in love. Both Ephesians 3 and 1 Chronicles 29 tell us that a heart of love, being rooted and grounded in love, is the way to live, the strategy to employ, if you will, as Christ decided. This, this is the strategy. This, this, is, this is how you do it. You know we could devise some other strategies, couldn't we? We could be rooted and grounded in something else, couldn't we? In order to be designed. We, we could accomplish it in some different ways, couldn't we? We could be rooted and grounded in something else. Uh, anybody have any suggestions? What else might we be rooted and grounded in? Anybody want to venture a thought? 
What else might you be rooted and grounded in? Any of you junior high, senior high kids have an idea? Well, you know, we could go to 1 Corinthians 13 for a list of these things, or some of these things, or some suggestions that Paul has of other things that we might be rooted and grounded in. Do we have it up here? 1 Corinthians 13? Yep. There you all. You all can read that. You know, we could be rooted and grounded in speaking in tongues. We could be rooted and grounded in giving prophecies. That could be the main thing. Uh, you know what? We could be rooted and grounded in knowledge. And we PCAers really like this. Oh, no. We, in Mike Godfrey's class, we plumbed the depths or the heights. I'm not sure what you got. We get a lot of knowledge. We like we could be, that could be the main thing, right? That could be the main thing of how to do it. Uh, we, could, we could be rooted and grounded in doing acts of faith, moving mountains, other great miracles. Why, we could even be rooted and grounded in our ministry, sacrificial ministry, even unto a martyr's death. We could be root, those could be the main thing. And, you know, those things are part of it. But that's not what we're supposed to be rooted and grounded in. Because it says here in 1 Corinthians 13, I can do all those things, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And I gain nothing. Know this, young people, that the end of discipleship is love, individually and corporately. We're to be rooted and grounded in love. God the Father, through God the Son, supplies it. That, this is how it happens. God grants it through his spirit. You know, go back to that passage in uh, Ephesians 3. That he would grant you, he's going to grant it, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. So number one, he's going to grant it. Then knowing from God's word that this new heart is now in our possession with power in the Holy Spirit, we pray along with Paul. We pray along with King David. We pray along with Jesus in the farewell discourse that God the Father would keep giving us this heart, would renew this heart every day. You know, it's as we spend time with our Lord Jesus regularly in our devotions, or spend time with him in our service, or spend time with him in our fellowship together with other believers, it's there that we understand and experience his love for us. This is what gives us something to share with others. We can love and encourage others with no strings attached. Because God has filled us with all the love that we need. You know what this does? This spurs others on to grow in their discipleship. What might this look like? I'm going to give three examples of what this might look like for you high school, junior high folks. And you others, you know, you may just have to think of your own illustrations or something that's analogous to this. But here's some examples. Number one, I see a new person on the fringe. 
On the fringe of what? On the fringe of youth group. On the fringe of my class at school. (laughs) Whatever, wherever you are, there's a fringe, right? Your football team, who's on the fringe of the football team? It's going to be some freshman guy there who weighs 12 pounds. (laughs) Some new guy. Um, And it crosses my mind that I might just go and say hi to them and welcome them. Now, the crossing of my mind is Jesus in you. He's bringing that up, that you can think about it, that you do think about it. It's him bringing it up. He's actually making a request of you. How do you respond? I think we respond as you wish. Out of a heart of love. Uh, It's out of a heart of love for Jesus, not the 12-pound freshman. But that's why I go and love him a little bit. I say, "As, as you wish to Jesus, he'd reach out to them. My heart remembers it because God gave me the heart. (laughs) Will I act on it? I have a choice, don't I? But he is prompting me. He reached out to me. He welcomed me. So I can choose to go and sit next to that new person and try to get to know them just a little bit. A second example. Someone spreads lies about me. I feel I want to retaliate. Now, I wouldn't do this directly because I'm passive aggressive. <laughs> Some of you are just aggressive, right? <laughs> passive aggressive. I feel I want to retaliate. It's just that it comes to my mind that that very morning I read that passage in the New Testament in Matthew love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I, I read it. Jesus was saying it to me. I'm in relationship with him. I'm reading his word. He's making a request of me. And because I love Jesus, I respond to Jesus. As you wish, Jesus. As you wish. And so I choose not to retaliate. Rather, I pray for the individual and, and seek a relational opportunity for a positive interaction with them. Jesus didn't retaliate against me for the way I treated him before I knew him. You get the picture? Things like this flow out of a new heart of flesh which God gives us in Christ. In contrast to the former heart of stone that calculates and judges potential interactions with what's in this for me. You know, if you don't have a new heart, these things won't even occur to you. Or a a third example. My younger sibling say five years younger than me, asked me to play a video game with them, even though they're clumsy, and I know that I'm not going to get any fun or challenge out of this event. But I remember the sermon last week where Joshua or Kenny read that verse about where Jesus says, permit the children to come to me. And that's... That sermon, Jesus is making a request of me. How do I respond? Hmm. 
As you wish, Lord Jesus, as you wish. So I get out the controller and I play the game. You know, I'm loving Jesus at this moment. And so growing in my own discipleship, and not only that, like in that example, I'm discipling my younger sibling. I'm demonstrating to them the selfless love of Jesus. Well, these are some examples of what it means to be rooted and grounded in love. Friends, this is our bottom line and default strategy or practice of discipleship. The bottom line characteristic of this community, that we would be rooted and grounded in love. This is for us, the disciples of Christ. It's our joy to respond to the Lord's request with, as you wish, Lord Jesus. You know, and as we come here to celebrate communion, let's marvel at the one who worked on our behalf to love us and unite us in love with each other. You know, he has paid for our new heart, hasn't he, with his very flesh and blood. He's given us a new heart. It's, it's his heart, the heart of Jesus.